0: You got off lucky this week at the school day game, eh? Why? Because it wasn't like the school day game in Ottawa where there were 15,000 people in the arena. I don't
1: know what kind of reputation you're trying to give me, but I enjoy children, Mike.
0: Just don't (laughs) enjoy them too much, Chris. (laughs) I do (laughs) not enjoy children. Unless you're my niece or nephew listening, Uncle Chris loves you. I saw actually we had the opportunity to look at some of those pictures because it was Halloween or Halloween past When we were coming home from Erie, and you had some pictures of the kids doing their thing on uh, Halloween night. I did, yeah. They were Wonder Woman, which I love because
1: no one's going to push my niece around. Uh, She runs the world. Uh, And my nephew was a dinosaur, and he didn't know what was going on, but he was enjoying (laughs) it. There was candy. Pretty awesome. It's kind
0: of like me. I enjoy things because there's There's candy. candy. Uh, But this was the third school day game I had been a part of, and I do believe I warned you going in Mm -hmm. that there will be a shrill high-pitched sound piercing your ears throughout the entirety of the game. Not so much. No, it wasn't that bad, actually. I took my headset, or
1: my one half of my headset off at one point. Right. Uh, and it wasn't too bad. It was almost bearable. Like,
0: it sounded like, like a Ranger game <laughs> with a couple hockey teams up by us. It they wasn't bad. announced 3,000-plus uh, at the Erie Insurance Arena for that game on Wednesday morning. Uh, there might have been 1,100 in there. Yeah. But anyway, I, and I'm, I'm still not getting... trying to pick on the attendance, but... I'm still trying to get my bearings on uh, crowd attendance guessing. Right,
1: You've been crushing it at the odd <laughs> for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, that would be my guess. I'd say
0: 1,100. So for those who continue to ask, the whole school day game concept has been going on quite some time now. In fact, the Ottawa game this week was the ninth annual for the 67s. But the league started these a number of years ago just to try to build, enhance the fan base. If you If the market doesn't traditionally draw well... You give the kids a chance to get out of school for a little bit, neat little field trip. Maybe they'll go home to mom and dad and say, "Hey, I saw this hockey game; it was a lot of fun. Let's go back sometime." Maybe they become lifelong fans. I actually, I don't mind the idea. I think, from the league's perspective, why not? Maybe
1: they end up being like our guest last week, Mike Torquia, who watched Tony Tanti play, and all of a sudden is like, "I want to play in that league." And I think it's great. The more kids we can get integrated with the game of hockey and sport and active to begin with, the better. And then the more eyes we can get on this league, the better. It's it settled the time, but you could pay 25 bucks and go to the odd to watch Connor McDavid and Mitch Marner and whoever else year after year after year, or you can spend $300 to go to Toronto. It's
0: up to you. While we were in Erie, and we obviously overnighted there on Tuesday to be there in time for the game on Wednesday morning, as opposed to leaving Kitchener at 3 a.m. or whatever we would have had to do, uh, we stole some time, With Rangers head coach Jay McKee, who, of course, was an assistant under Chris Knobloch in Erie for a season. And did he have a pretty okay NHL career? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. McKee. I'll count on my two hands. Can I borrow uh, one of yours? You can. You can have have that, too, to complete the uh, number of seasons he spent in the National Hockey League. And I remember reaching out to Jay for the invitation to join the podcast. And I asked him for 20 minutes. I said, could we get 20 minutes with you when we get into Erie on Tuesday night? And the answer was, I'd really enjoy that, which I'm like, really? would you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, ask Jay for 20 minutes. And uh, let's just say we got a little bit more because it was effortless and conversational and awesome funny as hell and this conversation basically sums up what
1: jay mckee is and that is just an all-around good dude who who's got a million stories that he could tell and we tried to get a couple out of them so it's a little different setting than the uh what 68 times mike gets to talk to you (laughs) pre-game during the ohl season so we'll try to stay away from uh the the ongoing season and what's going through your mind as we (laughs) embark on a game against Erie, and just talk more so uh about jay the person Mm -hmm. um how does it uh feel be back in a city where you coach though do you really want to be this
2: board talking about me as a person (laughs) Uh, it's neat to be back. I, I was only in Erie for one year, so um, I was commuting for the most part, so I was I was back and forth. I would I did have a, a small apartment here that, that had a, a couch and a TV on the floor, and I would stay there uh, just some nights if we had a, a late game and we were up early for practice. So, um, you know, I didn't uh, – being here just the one year, I didn't uh, – built some good friendships with the the people uh, within the team, and, and but outside of that, I, I wasn't really in the city a whole lot. I promised, Chris, I was
0: going straight for the jugular. I'm not messing around, Jay. When I talk about the United States, there are two cities I like to pick on, Cleveland and Buffalo. Mm-hmm. I, never, I've never understood it, but I
2: know how passionate you are about Buffalo. What mm-hmm. makes Buffalo a great city? Well, I think for me, to start off with, I... I grew i pretty much grew up there I, my the majority of my adult life was there i, I started uh, my first game for the sabers i was 18 years old and my first full season i was 19 so um you know i, I played 10 years there so really my my the the grounding of my adult life became and started in buffalo really so um became home to me and and um you know once you get outside of the city a little bit it's it's a really tight-knit community. It's a you know big open area, but uh, they're really passionate about their sports there—the the Bills, the Sabers, uh, uh, the Bison's there. Um, so it's it's a good sports town, and, and you know when you're an athlete in that town. Um, people just really take care of you and they 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 love the meet with you they love the talk the restaurant owners are excited to have you have you there all the time and and everyone just seems to know who everyone is and and uh it's just got a great feel of the city and um you know on top of that it's it's a hard-working you know blue collar type of town and and uh for me my my style of play was that so i was embraced by the city and the fans and um you know i'm, I'm proud to call that place uh you know where i've lived for half my life did that make it especially fun to go back for that uh,
0: preseason tournament this year?
2: Yeah, that was that was great. I, I thought, you know, not only for 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 me and Matt going back to Buffalo and and seeing some familiar faces. Uh, uh, my kids were able to go to the game. My kids are based out of Buffalo. They, they're they in their schools there, and my one daughter is heavy in the tennis, the others in gymnastics, and my son's uh, trying to figure out what he wants to do still. So um, it was neat for them to get to the games. Uh, it's a little more difficult uh, getting them up to Kitchener as much as I'd like to, but they do get up when they can. Um, but just, just being back there in Buffalo, I thought they put on a great event. Uh, the Pagula family has really done a lot for the city, and they're building up downtown. There's a lot more things to do, and... and um, the venue there is great, uh, real easy for the teams to have access of getting in and out and, and bringing meals in. So it was uh, it was a great event, not only because of being in Buffalo for me, but just the the way it was put on.
1: You, you talked about your kids being in Buffalo and whatnot and tennis and gymnastics. Uh, wh- what's it like being now a tennis father and a gymnastics father?
2: <laughs> yeah, my, my, my two, I have two daughters and a boy, and, and my daughters, we, um, we expose them to uh, a lot of different things: tennis, baseball, soccer, gymnastics, dance. The list goes on. And uh, uh, as a parent, I like to let them kind of choose their own path. I don't want to. I didn't want to push any of my children down one path or say you need to do this. It was expose them to a lot of things. And I think you, if you're going to be successful in something in life, you have to do what you love. And and my one daughter, um, you know, they were they were both in tennis, gymnastics, and dance all at once. And as they get older each of those sports requires more time. So one had to drop and and then another had to drop and they both kind of chose their own path and and they're both doing great at what what they're in. And my son's only five, so uh, he's just kind of getting exposed to a lot of different things.
1: Now I don't envision you as being very good at gymnastics, but how,
2: how's your tennis game? <laughs> I, yeah, uh, uh, I, I, uh, my my forward somersault is amazing. Anything, anything past that is a struggle. <laughs> um, no, my I, I picked up tennis actually during the 4 lockout. Uh, I was golfing like most hockey players do, and had a pretty decent golf game and. And I just felt as it was getting a little bit colder, I felt they needed to do something else, a little more athletic than than being four hours on a course and having a few beers with my friends. And, and uh, so I got into tennis, picked it up. Basically, I'd never played it growing up, and, and I kind of got into that and, and just loved playing. it. I loved the fact that you get on a tennis court with, with people at your level and, and put yourself through a real good sweat, um, burn a lot of calories, and not even realize you're doing it because it's so much fun. So kind of grew a passion for that sport. I started uh, attending the Rogers Cup and, and going to the U.S. Open and, and just kind of got, uh, you know, kind of immense in, into that sport and, and uh, made some friends that, that were pretty high up in the ATP. And um, one of my, my close friends now is a close friend is was the chief player officer of the ATP. And I actually had an opportunity at the Rogers Cup um, in, in Toronto Uh, Sidney Crosby flew in. Um, It it was uh, Sid, myself, and Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal had uh, some court time to hit. We had two hours of court time. Uh, So Sid flew in for it. I had the connections, and uh, we got there, and it rained heavily for two straight hours. So we missed out on that. Uh, That that was kind of one of those... uh, just those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities it worked out we ended up hanging out in the players lounge for those two hours my kids were there i had pictures with them and, and roger and sid and all that and so it's it's still a good memory but uh pretty neat experience
0: oh man Poper and i are both big yeah. baseball fans, or yeah. tennis fans too we could we could go on and on about this on a tangent but uh man that's a great story
1: i gotta ask a quick question though. okay go ahead yeah.
0: one word answer
1: federer nadal sampras agassi who's the best
2: Oh man, I uh, it's, a, it's a, definitely a very tough one. I I don't know how I can't say Roger Federer. Yeah, I, I don't know how you can. Yeah. Either. But yeah. it's it a great question though. Well, well done. Yeah. Uh, what was your welcome to the NHL moment? Uh, well, it's actually a pretty neat story. I was I was playing junior hockey. Uh, it was my 3rd year. I was in Niagara Falls playing for the Niagara Falls Thunder and the season had ended, um, you know, back then there, there was no social media, there was no iPhones, it was, uh, everything was a phone call, or you had to pick up the newspaper to read what was going on, so I didn't really know, I had been been drafted by Buffalo, I didn't really know what, what state the team was in, I, I knew how they were doing the standings, and you catch highlights on TV, but um, I was more immersed in, in my own team, and focused on the OHL hockey, and uh, so my season ended, and, and you know the season ends, and all the players get together for a few days before they, they take off and go home, and you have your fun together, and you know a little bit of team bonding at the end of the season. And I think I was there for about a week, and, and we were getting ready to get together with all the guys again, and I got a phone call from my agent, and he asked me how things were going, and it was kind of an unexpected call. I was at my Billet's house, and, and the conversation was smooth and normal, just kind of catching up, and then he said... Right on left field said, uh, "Well, what would you think if I told you the Buffalo Sabres wanted to play for them tomorrow night?" And and I can honestly say <laughs> I I've never had this feeling before and I'll never have it again. But I I couldn't even respond. It was just one of those like I wasn't ready for it. Like the the, the question and um, you know it's it's when you have a passion for a sport and you have a goal your whole life from the age of probably three or four years old. I, I grew a passion for the sport. Uh, and now you're. Uh, I'm at 18 years old, and I get that question. And I know he's being honest, and, and it's a legit question. It's just so many thoughts and emotions kind of went through, and I, I, I could not even get a word out for probably 30 seconds. I, I think my agent was uh, on the other line asking if I was still there, and I still couldn't say anything. I was just, it was just a weird feeling. So um, eventually, we got back into conversation. I, I, I came out of my blackout, and uh, um, he. You know he just told me the logistics of it how to get there what the plan was and um so the next day i i drove in that next morning and another kind of comical story is is uh, you know i was making i don't remember what we were making back then 20 bucks a week in junior right enough for gas and uh we had the pregame skate, uh, and the way it was set up, you had to take your extra stick, put it on the bench, and, and after, you had to take your stick back in the room. It was a little bit different back then, and I, I left my stick on the bench. I forgot it, and I got in the room, and Rob Ray said to me, uh, hey, uh, you know, nice to meet you. Glad you're here. Uh, it's a $100 fine for leaving your stick on the bench. Oh, <laughs> well, okay, Mr. Ray, well, my parents will be here after the game, and I, I'll see if they have $100 on them, and uh, the game went on and, uh, later on that night, and, and uh, parents came in. It was great, and... Uh, the game went great it was, uh, it was like a dream come true, everything went real well I ran a few guys over I, I jumped up in the play and toe-dragged a defenseman at the blue line, set up an assist for a goal, and so, so a lot of things went well and after the game, Rob Ray came up to me again and said, hey kid, great game uh, real good game uh, congratulations on your first assist that's uh, another $100 fine <laughs> and he had a straight face and I was like, okay, my, like I said my parents are here, I'll see if they have $200, Rob <laughs> He said, oh, just, just so you know, too, that's uh, your first NHL game played, that's another $100 fine, so make sure you ask them if they have $300 on them. So I went out and said, Mom, Dad, they were all excited, he gave me a big <laughs> hug, and the first thing I said was, do you have $300 on you? And they looked at me, and, you know, with that blank stare, and said, don't worry about it, I don't think Rob's going to chase me down, so I never ended up paying them that, uh, that $300, but that, it was just, it was an amazing experience. Some of my teammates were were in the crowd, and Uh, I kind of went into that game kind of just having the mindset like not to worry about anything just go play hockey and it's you know this isn't going to make or break my career and I just kind of I felt loose and 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 everything went real well in the game and then I was fortunate enough to make an impression to the point where um, after another good camp uh, the following um, uh, fall there I uh, was able to make the team.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe your first year with Buffalo, you had guys like Matthew Barnaby, Mm -hmm. Rob Ray, Brad May, all on your team. That is a rough and tough (laughs) customer. Did the team, did that kind of embody, obviously, what Buffalo is about, but also did it make it easier for you to kind of get into the league?
2: Uh, It definitely did. I I was a uh, a physical, um, I came out of the OHL, voted uh, top body checker by the coaches poll, so I went into the NHL, with that kind of a style of play and i think without having guys like that bob bugner was also on the team paul cruz was there within a year or two we, we had a real tough team and and i could go out there and, and play my style as a young kid and and without any worry you know and I, I think if i was on probably 25 other teams at that time uh had i played that style i think uh, there would be quite a few guys on the ice that would have slowed that down <laughs> for me and and taught me a little bit of a lesson so i was uh definitely fortunate to have those guys uh backing me up it, it it made every guy on our team play bigger which which allowed us to be a pretty good hockey club
0: it was just a uh, a few years after your debut jay and and i know that you're okay talking about this because i've seen you interact about it on twitter mm-hmm. but it's the famous 99 cup final and uh and foot in the crease mm-hmm. uh, Take us to that game. Take us to the the over, when it when it ended, and the feeling uh, as a Buffalo Saber when all of a sudden the Dallas Stars were, mm-hmm. you know, streaming onto the ice. They had just won the Stanley Cup, even though they had broken a rule that was new in the league that year.
2: Yeah, it was a, it, it was a rule I didn't like. I didn't like the rule if a guy was standing in the crease before the puck went, went across a crease, regardless of whether he was interfering with the goalie, it was considered no goal, and the goal was called back hundreds of times all year every goal is reviewed and they're called back it felt like every game one goal is being called back um i didn't like the rule but it was a rule and uh so we were it was game six of the stanley cup finals triple overtime uh at at that point even starting game six you're exhausted i mean it it is a grind it's a very physical sport um you're playing every other night in between series you get a couple days off uh, so even starting Game Six, guys are are hurt, they're sore, they're exhausted. You go out there on adrenaline, you go out there with a passion because you're, uh, you're you're just a couple of wins away from winning a Stanley Cup. So there's there's a lot inside you that gets you through the pain and the, the exhaustion. Um, so if you fast forward six periods later, you could imagine how guys are feeling. It's it's it, it was a weird feeling when they scored. I was sitting on the bench. Um, it's hard to say a feeling of relief, it sounds weird because we just lost the Stanley Cup but it was, you're so exhausted and so tired, there was actually a moment of, of, of your body just kind of lets everything go for a second, It just, you know uh, the exhaustion sets in and nobody for a second, probably because it was about one thirty or 2am, nobody thought on our side to check check for his foot in the crease The when he scored, when Hall when scored, everyone barreled on the ice and our guys hung their heads low on the bench and just that exhaustion took over right and and there's obviously some emotion uh but i think the exhaustion hits first and then yeah, you go through the emotions of of the fact we just lost and we're you know one overtime goal and one went away from winning the cup and getting our names engraved on it uh something that every player on our bench dreams of has dreamt of for 20 30 years for maybe some guys um you know and then we went in the dressing room after shaking hands and and same thing guys are just slouched over in their stalls and kind of taking in everything that just happened and 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 within minutes we heard Lindy Ruff slam through the door we, and we looked and Lindy was steaming he, he walked through the dressing room and he heard another door slam open and we had no idea what was going on but he, he was clearly ticked off and then he went out to the the bench, he had, they had all went back to their coach's room and just kind of sat back in their chairs, and the replay was on, and that's when they realized, holy cow, his foot was in the crease. So they stormed back out to the bench, and he tried to get uh, everyone's attention, and, and they were kind of uh, politely waved away from the bench, and a little too late now. Um, so that that didn't fly I mean they were out there already bringing the the uh, Stanley Cup out so there was no kind of turning back at that point it's unfortunate because I not a sore loser at all, and it's something I've let go. I joke around a, a bit on Twitter about it when it gets brought up. I, I, I can accept it, but it was not a legitimate goal. It, it was uh, his foot was 100% in the crease before uh, the puck crossed, and it's not even a gray area one where well, I don't know, or there's a tough camera angle. It, it was not a, a legit goal that year, so it's unfortunate that it ended that way. And. Um, but for me, you know what? that It it leaves a burning passion in me to to do everything I can to get to that level again at some point in some capacity and, and, and strive to still win a Stanley Cup and get my name on it. A few times in
1: the Ontario Hockey League, you've been at the wrong end of some video replay.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: uh, does that... Uh, I don't know what you're talking about.
2: Is <laughs> that in a sensitive spot? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? It, it's, uh, it, it's interesting when... We, we rely on video replays in sports to get it right uh, and when uh, you know it's obviously not robots that are looking at these clips It's there's human error sometimes and uh, you know I, I, it, it sucks when you're on the wrong end of it but we've also been on the right side of it I remember a goal that Joel Griefa got last year I think it was against Guelph I don't recall if it was them or not but it, it, it didn't it wasn't a goal I didn't, it never crossed the, the goal line so I don't know how they got that one wrong but it goes uh, both ways, and that's, you know, human error is a part of life, so it, it sucks when it happens, but you move on from it. You mentioned the
0: name Brett Hull, a uh, hell of a hockey player. <clears throat> you played a season with Sidney Crosby. Mm-hmm. You played against Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky. Uh, at what point do you kind of sit back and reflect on, on some of those players? I mean, I'm sure there were many others that stood out to you as great, but those are names that come to my mind. But about the players that you played with and against in your career? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I, I remember my first shift against Merrill Lemieux and Yarmory Ayer because I skated as fast as I could to the bench and changed. <laughs> uh, they, were, they were dangerous. They were big and strong and I was, uh, when I started in the league, uh, my, my 19-year-old year, I was 175 pounds. Yes. It's a different game now. The, the kids now at, at 19 are, you know, 195 to 215, some even bigger. I was a smaller, skinny kid that just kind of threw my body around with, uh, without thinking about it, but um, no, it, it, it's just a neat experience. Those guys you grow up watching, uh, you know, you know Gretzky is the great one. You look at the the points uh, he put up as I was growing up as a kid, and he's he's throwing up numbers that are astronomical. And then you know, just to get out there the first time against them, and and, and anyone of that caliber, Mario, Wayne, Yeager, uh, players like that, uh, Joe Sakic, you know, the list goes on. Um, you just, it, it's just a neat feeling. It's it's one of those. You get into the groove of playing, and, and you play almost every other night, so you kind of get into the flow, but then there's those those games that you play against those guys where it kind of reminds oh. you that, holy cow, you're here, you know? Um, you get out of that normal routine of, of playing against another NHL team, and now it's all of a sudden you're playing against a, a childhood idol who's torn up all the record books, and, and again, you look to change quick when he gets <laughs> on the ice. <laughs> a guy who...
1: Uh, opposing players i'm sure didn't like playing against but you got to play with is a guy like dominic hasik as a goaltender myself i've asked you this a few times but what how would you describe dom what was he like
2: dom was uh he was an unorthodox goalie and an unorthodox person <laughs> uh he he's um i really liked him i, I uh, had a good uh, bond with dom uh the year my first year he had won the Hart trophy for league's uh, most valuable player and at the end of the year, he he gave me his blocker and trapper and signed them for me. and said, I "Want you to have these." So, uh, part of that was just you know being a young kid that connected to him well and and being a shop blocker. I think he appreciated the things I did, and and I appreciated him saving my butt many times. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we just I, I think D, defensemen and goalies um, they, they quite often uh, it doesn't happen with every D and every goalie, but there's a lot of times where they can bond pretty good, and I and I seem to. Ryan Miller was a guy in Buffalo that I bonded real well with, Dom. Uh, when I went on to Pittsburgh, me and uh, Marc-Andre Fleury had a, had a real fun connection. He was uh, a real interesting guy. He uh, During scrums in front of our net, when, when things are going mad, I mean, there's pucks and bodies flying everywhere, and I would hear him making these little whoop-whoop noises. <laughs> So it got to the point where, and it sounds, I was in my 14th year, so I had enough confidence that, and I I, I, like, I like to bring humor, and I know that that was uh flower, Mark, Mark andre Fleury's, um, you know, his personality. And so we started doing that together. We started <laughs> to make these little goofy noises during scrums in front of the net where, where you would think guys are panicking and, and worried. You'd, you'd hear us two kind of chirping back and forth <laughs> to each other, and we had fun with it. And, um it's just one of those small things that, that uh, you know, you have a connection with a guy and you have fun with him, and, and he's just a, he's a, a, a good-hearted, uh, fun guy, and he, he brings his humor into, uh, into playing, and that, that that's what relaxes him. Goalies mm-hmm. are flakes, eh? Goalies are interesting. <laughs> I'm right
0: here. <laughs> I, that's why I brought
2: it yeah. up. <laughs> I don't know if what I did you could classify as a goalie. It was
1: more so just a
0: glorified door opener. Yeah. Uh, shot blocking, and that was kind of a calling card of Jay McKee's game. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I just referred to you in the third person sitting here. But anyway, uh, <laughs> how many of those shots do you uh, look back at and wish afterwards, geez, I wish I hadn't gone down to block that one? Uh,
2: oh, really only a couple. Um, I I slid one time, and I got I, I took a slap shot uh, right off the, the, the front edge of my pelvic bone, where you have that little bone in, in the front of your hip, and there's not a lot of padding there. That's kind of where the straps are in the pants, so there was no padding really, and it was... Uh, the shot that hit me there and it, it rattled my whole pelvic structure and, and when I was on the ice uh, I, I didn't feel like I could, keep, I could get up for probably about 30 seconds. It's almost like everything went numb and, and I had a, a, a feeling and a thought that I was paralyzed and that was just a, a crazy feeling that, that you never want to feel and it, everything came back. The whistle went and I was sitting there still feeling like I couldn't move my legs or anything and a little bit of panic set in and then it just all started to come back and, and I was fine. I had a, a real bad bone bruise from it but um, everything ended, ended up fine. Um, the other only real bat, well, there's two. <laughs> one, uh, one got me in the side of the nose and, and basically pointed my nose towards the ear. I didn't see that one coming. I was tied up in front of the net and my head was turned. And just, it was a slap shot from the point that just took me right in the side of the nose. Um, that one didn't feel good getting that reset a few days later. Uh, and then the worst was uh, on a rush, um, the guy was just inside the blue line he took a slap shot I stuck my stick out to deflect it it hit the blade of my stick hit the shaft and I was looking down and it got me right in the front teeth so uh my four front teeth were pointed towards my throat and and I right during the play I knew I felt with my tongue I like, oh I think they're gone so I kind of <laughs> skated off during the play and walked down the hallway and <clears throat> there's always a team dentist sitting right by the bench and he hopped over the the railings and went in the back and I, I smiled in the mirror and and all my teeth were pointing towards my throat and and he said okay sit down on the chair and i sat down on the chair and he said lean back i leaned back he got behind me reached over grabbed my teeth and then kind of pulled them all back to the front and all i could hear was this crunching and swishing and it wasn't a good feeling and and he came off his little uh, stool he was standing on. He came around in the front. He said, ooh. And he just made that noise like, oh, what does that mean? He goes, oh, they got to go up. So he went back around. He grabbed the teeth, and he pushed them back up into the sockets. And and uh, then he bonded them. And, and so that, that wasn't fun because we had a game the next day. So uh-huh. I basically went from that to just bonding them, flying to Boston that night, playing the next day, and then uh, came back home and had a few root canals the next day. So the teeth were all saved. Uh, but but they all had root canals and, and obviously died, um, and, and now I'm sitting here with veneers, so they've had <laughs> some work done. But uh, that that was uh, in the moment, it's painful. It goes a little bit numb, but um, yeah, I didn't look too pretty for a while.
1: <laughs> I'm sweating just listening to yeah, that story. The, the, like, the, 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 oh,
0: <laughs> yeah, descriptions I, along the way. Yeah, yeah,
1: I yeah, no, that's not fun. Um, you've had some fun since the playing career has ended, and one of the things uh, that doesn't take someone a genius
2: to figure out is you have fun playing poker you like to play Mm your
1: poker uh, world series of poker um where'd that come from
2: uh you know what just guys on the road would would play some poker just sit in the rooms um you know when we get in it's guys guys take it serious i think a lot of people think you get on the road and it's they go out and they have fun um you fly out at five or four o'clock usually you get in in time to go to dinner and then you you head back to your rooms and Instead of sitting around in your own room just watching TV, guys would get together and just play some poker for quarters or whatnot and kind of got into it there and then was invited to – uh, a poker tournament from Daniel Negreanu, uh, a charity tournament, did that, and it's just a fun way to, to spend some time, especially when you get around with some friends and, and try and take a little bit of each other's money. There's, there's more fun in that than taking a stranger's. <laughs> <laughs> Kid poker's a bit of a beauty, eh? Oh, he's, <laughs> he's a great guy. Yeah, he's entertaining. I actually met him at a, uh, a charity hockey game up in Hamilton years back and, and got him to sign a poker chip that I actually had on my hands. and and uh no he's good he's got a great personality he's he's good for the sport and and he's got a pretty good story behind him i'm sure that's just one piece of
1: memorabilia so to speak that you have what what are some of the coolest pieces of memorabilia you've collected in your time as an NHLer?
2: uh obviously a uh, stick from crosby you got a couple sticks from him um I think I kept telling them for they were for somebody else, but I kept them for <laughs> myself. But, no, but you know, what a personalized stick from Sid. You know, he, I, I think uh, you know he's he's one of the greatest to play the game. Um, I had a picture taken my first year by the team uh, photographer. I, I had Wayne Gretzky tied up in front of our net, and and Dom Hassock was in the background. So. Um, I ended up getting that picture blown up poster size and and had both Wayne and Dom sign it. And Dom had signed it to Jay McKee, my favorite shot blocker, and Wayne signed something else on it. So that was a a pretty neat thing to have. Um, And then, obviously, having the... the being fortunate to coach Connor McDavid for a year, I got a seven eight or nine six from him as well. <laughs> <laughs> for
0: other people, you
2: know, for, for family members, <laughs>
0: did he? I've been meaning
2: to ask this one. Did he really break that puck in practice? He did. Yeah, he shattered it. I, I've never seen it before. I've seen pucks crack or break, but this puck, he, uh, he shot off the crossbar and it, it exploded. It looked like there was, uh, you know, a little firecracker in it that just made the thing shatter. So that was it was pretty unique. You've used sorry, just Mike. you've used a.
1: A comparison before when talking about Connor McDavid, um, and I wonder if you can do it again, I don't know if you'll remember, but how would you describe, you've, you've played against Gretzky, yeah. with Crosby, and coach McDavid, yeah. how would you compare Connor McDavid?
2: Uh, well, Wayne played in a different era, I think what Wayne did in, in his era is, is insane no one will ever put numbers up like that because guys now are, are bigger, stronger faster, and, and to the point where they, they can't get a whole lot bigger, stronger, and faster, and uh, you know, the, the the arenas haven't gotten bigger when the size and the speed has. So things are a lot tighter out there now than than when Wayne played. But um, I, I just and Sid's amazing. He's uh, the thing about Sid is he and I was telling you the other day, Mike, that. He has the elite skill, elite work ethic, but he, he works like he's a fourth-liner. You know, he works like he still has to impress the coaches every night, and he he, he wants to be the best, and he has that fourth-line mindset with elite abilities. Um, so he, he's amazing. And then um, Connor is just – it's hard to explain. He's on a, he's on a whole new – he's like a freak of nature. He's on a whole new level where, you know, some guys have great vision, some have great passing, some have a great shot, some play physical – he he kind of has everything in one guy. He's got Wayne's vision, he has uh, Joe Sakic's shot, he has Pavel Bure's speed. Or he's faster than Pavel. He's a better <laughs> shot than Joe. He's his he's maybe better vision, you know, than guys like Mario. So he's just uh he's everything in one and and he just has the ability to move like no one I've seen. Not just his his speed, but how he he cuts and turns and accelerates out of corners. It's um It was a real treat watching him in his final year, junior, and and I was very fortunate to have him on my team and not playing against him. (laughs) Uh, The cruelest thing about this game, I think, Jay, is how quickly you get old. So you're
0: a guy now in your 30s, you talk about that, you know, uh, 14-year career, and at what point in in time did you decide that coaching might be next? Did it enter your head while
2: you were still playing? Well, I just turned 40, actually, too, there a couple (laughs) months ago, so that snuck up on me too, but... Uh, I was, uh, as a player, uh, enjoyed the uh, positional aspect of the game. I think that's one of the things that that helped me in, uh, endure a long career and stay in the game was I, I slowed down as I got older or the newer guys coming in the league were just bigger and faster every year. And, and I was a very positional player and uh, I like to think the game. And, and I think as I, as I was getting older, once I left Buffalo and – went to st louis i had some injuries my, my for a couple of years and started thinking about and i got close with guys like bradshaw tony Granado, uh, mike yo um and when you get when you're older and and the coaching staff gives you more respect almost like uh, some of those guys treated me like i was on their level you know you didn't feel like a player coach there there was more of a connection there and uh, Brad Shaw and I would talk on the phone after games, which which doesn 't typically happen with players and coaches, but we would talk about our team and the systems and and he 'd ask me advice i 'd ask him advice and and then I just asked him how he got into you know the path of of where he got to after he retired and and so it was probably when I was in St. Louis that I started thinking about what I wanted to do after and if I wanted to be a coach and just kind of observed the things they did uh, the way they held meetings and I think as a player, you you take, you know, I had a number of different coaches after so many years. You take some things that you think you learn from with some coaches, and there's some coaches where I won't name names, but I, I think there's some overcoaching is a real thing. When when you're having, you know, 30, 40 minutes of meetings before every game and, and you're playing a team that you've played, uh, it's the eighth time you played them. You played them three nights ago, and you're having 30 minutes of meetings, you uh, you know before the the game again like that 's overkill guys start to tune them out and and i I felt it myself you, you want to be a pro and you want to sit there and, and stay focused and dialed in but you're you 're kind of daydreaming you know like you, you know what he 's talking about you, you just played them seven times already on the season you played them a few nights ago, we know what they do and everything you know so I do believe overcoaching is a thing and I, I never want to be that guy, but i I also do believe that preparation is key having your guys aware of the systems and and the players and uh, picking up on small things and adjusting your team uh, accordingly is, is very important so um, meetings and video and all that stuff is definitely important but uh, I think over the years I just tried to pick up on things and and try to apply that to my coaching
1: you played for some pretty awesome coaches um, what what were some of the things that that uh, you you liked about
2: their style of coaching Um, I think Lindy Ruff, um, one of the things he did is he changed over the years. I I think early on um, in the generation, the players that come into the league, each generation is a little different as well. So, you know, I I think Lindy did a good job. He was pretty, uh, he he coached with a little bit of intimidation earlier in his career. Um, He was pretty hard on guys. And then I think he changed a little bit and showed more respect to guys and, you know it wasn't so much ripping on guys all the time it was working with them you know showing where they can be better but then showing where they did it right that kind of stuff um you know and lindy lindy was a guy that he he brought a sense of humor to the dressing room at times and 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 that shows that he's human and i think you need that um dan balsma when i uh first started playing in in uh, pittsburgh he brought a tremendous amount of humor and and I, I remember the first meeting. Uh, he made a comment about one of the other players' names. I won't bring it up, but it was it was comical. He just said, "I don't know much about this guy, but he had a great great name," and, and it was a name that I probably couldn't repeat. It just you know. Um, and, and I we were in my second game with Pittsburgh Penguins. We were in Long Island, and uh, the rooms there kind of have you have the dressing room, then a connected room that has the, the change room. And I was sitting right, right by the door that the connects the two. Only myself and Mike Rupp were in, were in the room we were in at that time. And, and the song Smoke on the Water came on the radio or someone was playing it. And, you know, you got the, the guitar going. And as I'm taping my stick, this, I see this shadow fly by me on the right side uh, through the doorway. And it startled me. So I kind of stepped back and I looked. And it was Dan Bilesma in a full suit tie on and everything he lands in a full squat and he starts air guitar and smoke (laughs) on the water and this is my second game with the penguins they just won the cup the year before and I looked at him I looked over at Mike Rupp and he just shrugged his shoulders like I don't know what to say or what to think and I looked at Bowles and he just he just went went (laughs) hard for about 10 or 15 seconds and then he stood up straight fixed his tie and walked out and (laughs) me and Mike Rupp just kind of looked at each other like because we were both new to the team and and uh we took a moment and I'm like I, I love that.
1: That's amazing. That's, that's wonderful.
2: You know that's and, a good and song too. Uh, yeah and it just it it made him human and it it kind of made us uh he was very professional. He was very structured. He was he had his edge to him. He 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 pushed the right buttons but He showed that he was also human and 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 that was something that i kind of picked up on and i i liked you know i it made me it made me like him and it made me kind of want to play for him you know the fact that he shows a human side and he wasn't just this hardcore guy that you have to do this you have to do that and and uh and then i do remember another thing with him where we came back to buffalo for a game and i was in the um in the dressing room before the for the morning skate and uh, for some reason, every time I came back to Buffalo after playing 10 years here, I just I had a little bit of extra nervousness just because I'm playing in front of what felt like my hometown, and I'd have hundreds of people there that I knew, and there was just a little added nervousness. And I'd go to the rink early in the morning just trying to shake that. And you know, and I remember uh, I was in the dressing room, pretty big dressing room, and Dan Balsman was on the far side of the room, and he threw a football at me. So I caught the football, and, he's, and I looked at it, and he's like, put his hands up, like, all right, throw it back, right? So I threw it back to him. He threw the football for a minute or two, and it and it just one of those, things, and it relaxed me. You know, it's like, eh, you know, like this is kind of this guy's fun. You know, and and I, I kind of had that thought. Like, don't oh, I'm nervous about? It. I've been playing this game at this level for 14 years. Why am I nervous? And it just kind of relaxed me, and I went out and had a great game. And and it was just again one of those things that it it kind of just he he added a connection to you when he he did things like that. And and that's something I've I've done. I've thrown the football around. The room with the guys in, in Kitchener, uh, just randomly, and sometimes it's new guys, like a guy like Adam Liska who comes here and is from Slovakia doesn't know anybody. And and uh, you know, one of the days, one of the earlier days, I grabbed the football and I threw it to him, and he looked confused. And I put my <laughs> hands out and he threw it back, and we played catch for a minute, and then he walked off, and I think he probably thought, well, that's different, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that that kind of just builds, I think, a little bit of a an open relationship, you know, and now I think he can you know, not just that, there's other things I think that maybe he can come to me a little more and the one day I he was calling me coach. I said, Just call me Kieser, you know, like it's it's fine and he says, Oh he says in Slovakia he's I can never do that. I must call them coach. I'm like, no, no, hey we're family here. Like we, we gotta love each other and, and do things for each other and I don't know. You have to ask him what he thinks about that. But I, I think it, it gives a human element and, and it, it creates a bit of a bond between me and Adam and, and it makes I hope it makes him want to trust me and, and uh, want to play for me and do the things I ask. Okay, so you've tossed the football. Uh, has anybody ever seen you do the air guitar yet? <laughs> uh, uh, I have not done the air guitar I, uh, Last year when we were on a winning streak I might have walked in the room And did a little snap and pop dance move But um, no, I, I, no air guitar yet But that, that's something that maybe I'll pull out one day When things are going really well <laughs> Jay, you played in this league and, and then we're going to let you go after this Because
0: we have a game to prepare for apparently But uh, you played in this, this league a little, You already admit to being 40 So a little over 20 years ago yeah. uh, How is the Ontario Hockey League uh, today versus when you played it
2: uh, I, I think the players are they're definitely much more prepared they they understand the game more the systems are better uh, if you go back to when I played there there was no digital computers there's no we, we we couldn't there's no iPads on the bench where you can pull up uh, the shift before and show a guy where he's made a mistake um, we would go out and the coaches would say okay you guys are the five guys on for the power play go score now it's you know we're, we're spending time showing guys uh, we're breaking down videos showing them what other teams do what their tendencies are what the breakouts are what they do in zone uh, what trick plays they have on faceoffs um, so there's a lot more time and effort put into preparing these guys and I think what that does is it, it gets these guys more ready for the next level it's no different if anything it, it's more intense up there with that stuff because there's millions is millions of dollars on the line uh, not just for the players but for the coaches for the the organizations um, you know, back when I played, it, there was there was none of that. So I, I just think the game now is a, it's a better game. Uh, the players uh, are, are they're bigger, stronger, faster, even at this level. Um, you know, and I think a lot of the things change when back in '94, when when the salaries started going up, uh, just naturally, uh, it's it's a bigger carrot. You know, everyone wants to, to, to make a living to the point where they can take care of their family and maybe even the next generation in, in sports. So guys are, are working harder for it. And, and uh, you know, when, when I played, the NHLers would show up to training camp to get in shape. Now they're showing up in elite shape, you know, because they want to they all beat each other out. So the game is it's a better mm-hmm. hockey game. Guys are more prepared, and it's, uh, it's definitely a more intense game now than it was back then.
1: And real quickly, you mentioned the salaries going up and whatnot. How lucky do you feel that you got to be a part of that and that you've set up a couple generations?
2: Yeah, uh, well, it's I feel very fortunate. It's uh, to to make a you know it's an, it is entertainment. It's the entertainment business, and um, you know there's I remember I remember being a junior hockey player, seeing a, a guy in baseball holding out. Uh, he wanted five million, and and they were offering him four, and I thought that was the most bizarre thing ever. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know. <laughs> and and I, I get it now and and there was a time where i thought that these guys are all overpaid but if there's money in the sport um you know it it, it they can they can earn it right and and that's just how it is it's the owners get their their fair pay, uh, piece of it and the players get some it's it's entertainment and um you know i feel incredibly fortunate to have Played a sport I loved my whole life, and and there was a lot of hard work, and there were sacrifices. I left home and moved to Sudbury, which was seven hours away from home, at age 15, and never went to a high school prom, never went to college. There there was things that I missed out on that that I think a lot of uh, people look back on in their lives and and really enjoyed. Um, you know, I left my family at a young age, um, so there, there's sacrifices that are made. There's uh, a lot of hard work that's put in. Uh, it doesn't just happen, but uh, yeah, I, I certainly feel very fortunate um, that I was able to uh, have the success that I had. Do you ever think of not
0: reporting to Sudbury? It, it, it happened, you know. All <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: right. No, it was never thought of my mind. And, and you know what? And that's part of the thing, too. When I said there was no internet back then, there was guys just went and played. They didn't. I'd never heard of somebody not reporting somewhere. You know, now it's uh, anytime some guy says he's not reporting, it blows up on Twitter. It's on every social media site. It's on the news. And, and back then, you just you were fortunate and happy to go wherever somebody wanted you, and you did it without thinking, and, and that's how it was.
1: Well, yeah, you played in B- Buffalo. <laughs> there you go. There you go man. Take the shot. Yeah, hey, wow, man. Hey,
2: well, hey, I, I, I did hold out a couple of times for uh, contract negotiations. So uh, I was, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's. Uh, I was happy to play. I didn't matter where I went. It's it's a little bit different now. The the generations now where guys kind of say, I don't want to go there and this and that. I, I don't like that, but uh, to each their own, I guess. Look, we're glad you're here in Kitsch right now. Thanks for uh, making time for us on this. No, oh, my pleasure. It's always
0: uh, it's always a good time with you guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> He's lying. It's not always a good time. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Maybe version two can come after he wins that Stanley Cup. That, yeah. that part of the conversation really stood out to me. And I'll flat out root for this guy. I just will. I... I uh, enjoyed that conversation i got a least. lot
1: a lot of time for jay mckee
0: make sure to subscribe to the podcast please uh,
1: itunes podcast catcher spotify the internets 570news.com at farwell underscore ohl on the twitters
0: at underscore chris pope you'll find it around and uh, thanks subscribe. for tuning in right now i'm farwell i'm pope and that is the farwell and pope podcast Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.